The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. J.P. Harding Investment Bank. This place is either the engine of capitalism or the poster child of greed and corruption, depending on which paper you read. You know, prep school buddy of mine came to work here out of college. He made a quarter of a billion dollars before he was 30, retired, and bought an island. Wait, he owns his own island? We should definitely invite him to the wedding. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, April 19th, 2018. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Welcome to our show today, where we are once again joined by Salim Mansour of the University of Western Ontario. Welcome, Salim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Apparently, the U.S. Senate has been taking some FaceTime with Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, Facebook, <laughs> which, is a, which is a whole other thing, but it's all part of the whole social media issue and, of course, the big scandal that's been going on. And in the second half of the show, we want to talk about what is going on with China, especially in terms of free trade and how some of Trump's policies have been affecting the relationship between North Americans and China. Yeah, okay. I think so, yeah. Well, before we begin, let's remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our archived broadcasts. Well, Salim, I have to admit, I did not really watch Mark Zuckerberg have his FaceTime with the American Senate uh, committee, but um, though I did take away from what I did see a couple of, I only saw a few things and I saw some write-ups on it, and I took away a few things. First of all, this is all related to supposed Russian involvement in the American election. And Mueller is behind, it seems, a lot of this, and... Because of the Democrats trying to perform a coup, trying to get rid of the duly elected President Trump, we're now seeing Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook in front of the Senate because of Cambridge Analytica and Cambridge Analytica's use of data that came from Facebook users and Cambridge Analytica's use of that in order to persuade people to support Trump. And that's the only reason we're seeing Zuckerberg in front of a Senate committee is because of the Democrats trying to overturn, in my estimation, a duly elected president. And this would not have happened if it was not for the Democrats trying to again hold that Trump won because of Russia collusion. And one of the instruments of the Russia collusion was, as you again correctly point out, Facebook. They advertised through Facebook. They sent messages to Facebook. They targeted voters through Facebook for Trump. And he was hauled to explain that. Again, related to this is Cambridge Analytica, this company that took something like, the numbers are huge, 80 million of Facebook subscribers, and were able to... uh, 
examine their personal or private way they conduct themselves so that they could fine-tune their messaging about the 2016 campaign. Can I stop you there for a second, Salim? Because we've advertised on Facebook. Correct. We had just right. And I can do that with a click of a button. It says, you know, who do you want to direct your tar- your advertising to? And I said, okay, let's direct this one to conservatives. Correct. Let's direct this one to people who like Bill Whittle. Let's direct this one to classical liberals. So why does Cambridge Analytica want to take all this information and do something that's already a function of Facebook? You are absolutely right. There is no harm here in the sense of the advertisement going on, but the argument was, and which is what the Democrats wanted to know from Zuckerberg, why had he broken, quote, unquote, the privacy relationship between the users of Facebook and the market, in this case, Cambridge Analytica, taking the information and and using it for a political purpose. There was a very interesting moment in all of this as this this argument was being flushed out by uh, the senators, and particularly the Democratic senators. Uh, He was asked that since the platform is used by, again, the number is almost astronomical, 2 billion plus users and something like over 200 million users in the United States and and the users are using Facebook platform for free. I mean, I, I have a Facebook page. I think you have a Facebook page. Just yes, Right Media has a Facebook page. Yeah. So anyone can can become uh, a user of the Facebook. So the question was, how does he allow this to happen? And, you know, what is the source of his revenue? And Zuckerberg's answer was just one word answer, advertisement, as if the Democratic senator who was asking this question needed to be instructed on that. The other point is also very interesting. All the senators sitting and grilling Zuckerberg, and similarly, all the congressmen and women sitting and grilling Zuckerberg, are making regular beeline to Zuckerberg and his colleagues in the tech industry in Silicon to finance the campaign. So here you had Zuckerberg sitting in front of the senators and congressmen who basically dipped their hand on a regular basis to run their own campaigns. And I think now that they were eighty five percent of the members in on the committee had been receiving funds from Facebook itself. Precisely. And and again, the Silicon Valley high tech people have been financing these people and so there is a symbiotic relationship over here. And so if you put all of that into so, context, so it almost sounds it like is, they're doing some virtue signaling to distance themselves from Facebook because they're so much part of it. It is Exactly right. But in the process of this grilling, if you might use the word cautiously, what came out was something I suppose nobody, that is the the senators and the congressmen, had anticipated. And that is the systematic elimination by Facebook that is by Mike Zuckerberg, and he's not alone in this. The other high-tech companies, Google and YouTube, are doing the same thing, is their censorship of the people they do not agree with. Facebook and other high-tech companies are mostly left-leaning. They have been censoring and taking off people who are on the conservative side of the aisle. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Okay, and that's what is the issue that I think is much more of concern to anybody who are concerned about the issues about free speech, 
free association and so on and so forth, the fundamental right. That question was asked by, for instance, Senator Ted Cruz. He wanted to know uh, why is it or how is it that the senior members of the Facebook, the decision makers of Facebook, are all basically a one particular viewpoint. Yeah, Tommy Pinkos, all of them. (laughs) Yeah, right. And the answer was also very revealing. I mean, whether it was a calculated answer or it just came out spontaneously, uh, Mike Zuckerberg said to the senator, Senator, you know uh, Facebook is located in the Silicon Valley and uh, we are not the only one. All of the people that we work with, the high-tech people in Silicon Valley, are basically left-leaning. So in other words, and he didn't expand upon that, in other words, there is a predisposition already, a selective process. You might say a Darwinian process on the left. They have basically selected who they're going to work with, and they have excluded the others. So the excluded people now are the people on the right, you know. They don't want anybody, and their message, you know. For instance, just one example that I'd give you. Uh, There was a huge, huge pro-life demonstration in uh, California. Again, it was high school students who came out. High school students came out in California in huge numbers in support of pro-life position. And this was a demonstration organized spontaneously, within quotation mark I'm saying it, just as the demonstration against gun was organized, quote-unquote, spontaneously following the Parkland, Florida Mm -hmm. tragedy that happened or killing that happened. But whereas the anti-gun rally, anti-Second Amendment rally, was heavily heavily broadcast by the mainstream media and all of these various platforms, there was a complete censorship on the pro-life movement, you know. It's a legitimate question. Why? And that is what is happening. And if we dig deeper and deeper, we can see that as these companies have become monopolies and oligopoly, they can decide what the market is going to be. This is where you and I have come uh, to odds over the discussion about what a private company can do. And I'm of the opinion that it can do whatever it wants to do with uh, as long as it doesn't violate the rights of other people. So if Mark Zuckerberg is quite open about the fact that, look, we're a left-wing organization, we're a bunch of socialists who do not want to see President Trump get reelected, we didn't want to see him get elected in the first place, we're going to do everything in our power as a private organization to try to sway the public's opinion one way or the other, just like we at Just Right want to sway people's opinions. That is our right under free speech to be able to do this. Now, what I see is that, okay, so now you're getting to be a very big company. Facebook has billions of users. So when does it become such a size that you need government to step in and say, just right, you can say whatever you like, you're only small, which we are. Facebook, you're above a threshold which we are going to keep nebulous and undefined so that when you pass this undefined threshold that we subjectively determine, we can call you uh, onto the carpet and say, no, you cannot censor certain points of view. You have to put out, you have to be objective. Even though Mark Zuckerberg says we're not objective, we're leftists, we're Democrats, we're socialists, we're commies, we're pinkos. 
we want to put across this particular viewpoint and we're going to censor people. Now, how many people have actually read the privacy policy of Facebook when you click on accept? I haven't. I bet you, I'm, I'm willing to bet nobody in the world has other than their own lawyers have read the privacy policy. And if it says in that privacy policy, we're a bunch of left-wing commies and we want to take over the world and defeat Trump, do you agree? And you click on I accept, then they're fully within their rights to do that. Yes, just right in your argument, just right had the right to do that. But the people too also have rights. And in the case of Facebook, uh, it is not simply the government issue. I mean, you you are structuring the argument as a government as an alien body, and I don't buy that argument so long as we at least no, in, a, in, a, in a formal sense, we are a constitutional republic. I don't buy the argument that the government is an alien body. But I didn't say that, Salim. But, but that's the way it, it comes out, that the government can come and interfere. The government itself is the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But having We'd hold like on to, to that, that. Mo- that mm-hmm. moment, because that's where the freedom issue comes then also that we elect our representative, you know, we are not simply an anarchy, we are an ordered liberty. But here is the market itself is making a judgment. In the last week, Facebook lost also billions of dollars, a share almost collapsed. That's it, the market it, it, response. Exactly, to exactly. Such a thing. It collapsed. And so the market said, the market made up of, again, Tens of millions of people. We're not talking about big corporations simply investing. We're talking about tens of millions of people in America. Forget about outside America because it claims to have 2.2 billion people on its platform, but it says 200 million in America. And given the fact that the politicians are hypocrites and they are masters at it, and yet the politicians are weathering they respond to where the people are in the sense they're sensitive about it and midterm election is coming on so the the market collapses on on facebook the people are enraged the people come out people ha- haven't read i haven't read when i signed up on use all i signed up was with my name and my password i gave mm-hmm. them right and nothing else you know and you said accept yeah i said accept and i'm not complaining about it whether they sell it to cambridge analytica or they sell it to whoever they come up that's not my point because that's again the market decision they have to find their revenue they have to sell a product and their product is the people who are the user However, the issue becomes a matter of concern when a company becomes a monopoly and drives the market away from being a market. It is no longer than a market. It is then it imposes its own interests and values upon the market and eliminates anybody who can play equally. So there is a question about a level playing field. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Zuckerberg, would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Um, uh, no. If you've messaged anybody this week, would you share with us the names of the people you've messaged? Uh, Senator, no, I would probably not choose to do that publicly here. I think that may be what this is all about your right to privacy, the limits of your right to privacy, and how much you give away in modern America in the name of, quote, connecting people around the world. How much revenue did Facebook earn from the user engagement that resulted from foreign propaganda? What we do know is that the 
IRA, the Internet Research Agency, the, the Russian firm, ran about $100,000 worth of ads. How I can't say that we've identified all of the foreign actors who are involved here, so I, I, I can't say that that's all of the money. Will you commit to working with Congress to develop ways of protecting constituent privacy and well-being, even if it means that that results in some laws that will require you to adjust your business model? Senator, yes, we will commit to that. I think that that's an important conversation to have. Our position is not that regulation is bad. I think the internet is so important in people's lives and it's getting more important. Yep. The expectations on internet companies and technology companies overall are growing. And I think the real question is, what is the right framework for this, not should there be one? You were saying that it's, it appears that once a company, a private company, becomes what you say a monopoly or even an oligopoly, then the government being representatives of the people have to step in and ensure some sort of objectivity. But I'm going to have to disagree with you, first of all, on the monopoly thing. They are not a monopoly. They're not even an oligopoly. You've got some very, very big companies out there. No doubt about it. Google, Alphabet, um, Google subsidiary, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, you name them. Apple. Huge companies with a huge amount of influence. But you know something? I think it's doing, and I apologize if you think that uh, this is personal, but I think it's doing the American voter, the Canadian voter, the voter, whoever they are, a disservice to say that just because Mark Zuckerberg says this, Cambridge Analytica has an ad supporting Trump, NBC News comes out and doesn't cover a, a pro-life rally, uh, CNN chimes 24-7 about some fake Russian collusion that the American voter is somehow swayed when he goes into the voting booth to say that, ooh, well, I trust CNN, so I'm going to vote Hillary. Or I trust Mark Zuckerberg, so I'm going to vote uh, Trump because of the Cambridge Analytica ad. We're doing a disservice to people's freedom of choice and their free will to see BS when they see it. Everybody knows that the mainstream media are left-wing. They read between the lines, just like the Soviets did when they got their copy of Pravda. They knew that whatever was in Pravda was the exact opposite of what the truth was. And that's where we are today. So I'll ask you the question, are we doing a disservice to the free minds of people who can actually see BS? Well, my, my view is that all of these problems are paradoxical at a fundamental level. We have a situation where we are defending the argument that the, the right of a businessman to have ownership of his product and therefore to participate in the market is almost in that sense a fundamental right which nobody has, in this case, the government to interfere. That's agreed. The question then becomes, when a business becomes so big that it can dictate to the market, especially with small people. We have the example of this uh, couple, uh, two black women, Diamond and Silk, from somewhere in Michigan, who started a, a skit going uh, during the 2016 election campaign.
And they're and, Trump supporters. And, and they're Trump supporters, and they challenge all the shibboleths and all the arguments of the left. Because well, they're hap- black women. Yeah. Yes. Well, what happens to them? They're taken off YouTube and they're taken off Facebook. What happens to uh, people, I mean, who have been using Facebook and have used Facebook, but who now declare that they're going to run for public office and they are uh, not people with that line up with the values that Facebook is uh, following, and you say that they are right to have their own lineup, and it is fair. Uh, no, uh, I, I'll qualify that. I'll qualify that, Salim. If in their terms of service, they do not explicitly say that as a member of Facebook, if you purport views that we do not support, and being, of course, on the left in Silicon Valley like we are, right then we, have, we reserve the right to get you off of Facebook or, or to shadow ban you or to pretend that people are seeing your stuff when, when well, they're not. Of course, then I well, disagree. Well, hang on. Hang on a second. Um, I disagree with that. I think that to be in business, you have to be upfront. If I'm boosting this particular broadcast on Facebook and it only gets X number of views, when Facebook suggests that it will get X plus that number of views, that's deception, fraud. And they should be brought to justice over such a deception. And to that degree, I would agree with you, Salim, that as long as the rules are laid out and the terms of service are laid out and clear, then I think that people should be have the expectation that Diamond and Silk will not be okay, well, banned. That brings us back to the situation we're in now. First of all, Facebook did not put in any of their notices that we're a left-wing group that's going to censor anything How on do you the know right. That? Nobody's read their, I, I, nobody read their terms of service. Because nobody cited it. It would have been cited <laughs> That's by true. now. That's true. I'm just being facetious. Okay. I agree with you. But the other issue is, and on this is where I see Salim's argument, but I see it in a slightly different shade. For example, just last week, I got a letter from Ezra Levant of the Rebel Media saying that they had been totally taken down, okay? And I know you yourself, Robert, have been starting to back up our own YouTube videos on our own site in case the same thing happens to us. And what I see happening there is something a little bit different from the topic matters being discussed. Here you have a guy like Ezra Levant who has come to count on this service, which has been given to him, into which he has invested hours, thousands of dollars, time, and all of a sudden, you know, this implicit contract that does exist because it has been in effect and practiced for so long is suddenly broken. I would agree with you. If there's a contract that's, a, and that's I think broken, that's, what we're dealing that's with. the law. Well, but it's not a written contract in the strictest sense that we would say you go into a lawyer and sign a contract. Well, right? no, no, in this day of but, the digital age, you don't need to sign anything but, but anymore. You, you see, simply again, click on, on accept, I mean, or you, I, I agree. Right. And what makes that possible? The government framework in which these Agreed. laws are set up in, Agreed. right? Yes. So on any business, you know, on any mm. business, that's why an antitrust statute exists. On any business, uh, we come to this problem at some point in time historically we come to to this problem nobody imagined 20 years ago 15 years ago this conversation would be ha- we would be happening when facebook first came on and there were other there were other platform like myspace was a platform which has disappeared you know uh Nobody imagined that Facebook in this period of time, in over a decade, would grow up to be this huge operation and this huge platform. And then there emerges, with the growth of that platform, 
problems, and that's the problem we are talking about. So the ideal notion, the issue of freedom that we all agree around about in this table, when we start dissecting it and analyzing it, it becomes then ironically, paradoxically, the freedom of the big over the freedom of the small, and we are in a Darwinian world. So Diamond and Silk, or Ezra Levand, are in no position in that sense, to have a market influence as Facebook does. And that's where, I mean, the collapse of the Facebook and the market, the share, that for the small uh, investors, they were making a decision. They were demonstrating their anger, their frustration, and they want a remedy. And the point is that I was driving at that the remedy itself will create more problem. I agree with that. But a remedy is needed. And what it is, is life, is always a question of back and forth. There is no ideal solution. And so the remedy, if a remedy is, come for, is coming forth as a result of these hearings that will come forth to demand that the Facebook cannot, you know, eliminate people from their platform on the basis of their political or any other category of thought, how is that going to be enforced? I mean, that will be a question. Well, that's, that a, big, that's a big question, isn't it? And, yeah. and there's the opposite side of the coin, is that if you're running a platform like that, you are responsible for some of the stuff that's on there. And what if there's a lot of BS there? What if there's a lot of hate literature? You have to police it in some way in attempting to get rid of the irrational and evil people, they also sweep out the good ones along with them because they just use algorithms and things like that in order to pick people like that mm, out. You know something? There have, it's been demonstrated that Facebook has allowed pages by Hamas and Iran yeah, sure. and, and Islamists out there you know, um, pushing violence and hatred. They allow that stuff. It doesn't go by their algorithms. Their algorithms are apparently allowing this kind of stuff. But Zuckerberg calls Diamond and Silk unsafe (laughs) because they support Trump. So... I would agree well, with. Did, I would agree didn't with. Didn't we have uh, the same complaint that, about Salim when we posted first uh, something mm. to YouTube, and didn't they tell us it was unsafe? Yes, as a matter of fact, I interviewed <laughs> Salim a good two-hour-long interview over his new book, and um, I wanted to. I, I, I'd never boosted a YouTube video before, so I thought, I thought, let's try that. You know, through Google AdWords. So I, I shared the emails with you, Salim, about Google AdWords saying that we're not going to allow. You are boost, and I'm and I'm going. Why? Now I don't have the papers in front of me, but basically they said it violates our policy of of disseminating something that is dangerous. So, <laughs> so ideas that are dangerous. And here you were. Uh, the interview was about your new book. Here you are, a uh, a university professor talking, a Muslim talking about Islam and how to interpret it properly, yeah. so that you can uh, defeat the Islamists. Uh, and they said, no, that's dangerous thought. Now, mind you, I went back and I changed a couple of words in the promo and they allowed it. But for them to all automatically decline it, when, boy, you really have... We're at, we're at the, uh, the, the end of that, what you're talking, the censorship thing. We're just ready to, hey, maybe, hey, Bob, maybe we're getting influential. Yeah, never know. <laughs> yeah, so so here, the, 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 again, we, we are back to the paradox, you know. I mean, whether it is a discussion on Islam, Islamism. You know, I don't claim that my book or my argument is the one proper 
I mean, I, I would say it was not a question of properly the word that you use. It's a question that's another view, another point. Oh, as a matter of fact, during the yeah. re- interview, you said, like, like I challenged you, I said, how do you know your view is the right yeah. view on Islam? Yeah, and of so, course, you said, it, 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 it's not, it's my view. It is my view. So that, yeah. the, the, the point is, there has to be an openness mm-hmm. that many voices can be heard and people can make their own decision. You know, I've always maintained that position. The example I gave you about pro-life march in California that nobody reported, nobody knows about it, you know. And so we are not getting information. We are being censored. We mean the people. I'm not meaning myself here personally. And therefore the people will demand remedy. This issue has been raised with, by President Trump on, on the question of Amazon and Washington Post. You know, that too, you may, you can come down on the same side of the argument that you're making about Jeff Bezos as it is about Mike Zuckerberg. And you have another businessman. It's not that they are not businessmen. You know, you have Donald J. Trump, who is a businessman and who is raising this issue because we now know from independent study, Pew Research Council, Harvard Media Study, that 95, 96% of media reporting, mainstream media reporting, has been negative on Trump. So if there's a market, why is it so lopsided? If media is 96% against Trump and yet President He's the president. That means people are voting for him. We have to step back and ask the question, what is going on with the media? We're going to be talking about China soon, so I have this question for you regarding to what you just said. And this is from uh, the Epic Times, which reports on Chinese news, and they report that users of Apple devices in China may have once had the expectation that they could store their data with the cloud storage offered by this Western company, outside of the Chinese regime surveillance. In fact, their private data will soon be hosted by a Chinese state-owned company with intimate links to the People's Liberation Army. Uncomfortable facts, the U.S. company has not told the millions of Chinese users of its devices, which, and apparently that began on February 28th. So what concerns me is when we ask a government to get involved with something like a private you know, Facebook, anything like that, they're going to take it over and end up being the, a worse villain than the private interest in the first place. And isn't that always a problem between government and business? Yeah, we'll discuss that, I hope. I mean, and uh, what you just now read, that's only part of the story. Okay. The other part of the story is also very interesting. There are Americans involved in it. The son of Joe Biden mm-hmm. and the stepson of John Kerry, when John Kerry was the Secretary of State and Joe Biden was the Vice President, Joe Biden and John Kerry were engaged with the Chinese government in negotiating a number of deals, uh, that is government deal, but they took along their sons and stepsons who engaged in privately negotiating business deals with the Chinese, and since they are a separate individual. They are excluded from the whole limitation on lobbying. So what you have, the vice president and the secretary of state, in effect, lobbying. But the money was deposited to their son and stepson. Let's talk about that when we come back. Grassroot work is what we're doing. Yes, exactly. Grassroot work. Taking our message to the people. You guys are... Especially since... 
especially since Mark Zuckerberg um, from Facebook is censoring conservative voices, we have to take the message to the well, street. Well, that's a theme. You know, we had, we had right. Prager University, Dennis Prager on earlier. His videos are being censored. Your videos are being censored. Mm -hmm. uh, when that's are people right. going to wake up to the reality that these big media companies are trying to squash the people as well? Absolutely, right. and it's time for someone to step in. So we have to take our message directly to the people. We're doing grassroots work, and we want to see their faces in the place. DiamondandSilk.com. Okay, so I want to say this to those, those three lawmakers. You know, Trump is not a racist. He's a realist, and the only color he sees is green, and he wants you to have some of it. That's right. And what I don't understand about these lawmakers is why are they pushing this narrative? You know, there's an old saying, what you think you see in others is what's in you. That's right. Maybe they need to get the racism out of their own hearts towards this president so that we can move this country forward. That's right. I, I want black people to also look at these two lawmakers that's black. They one piece of legislation that they pushed within the last year mm -hmm. to help inner and urban cities, to help benefit black communities. None. We, our eyes are open. People need to wake up. These are the people that we need to vote out. And the sad thing is the same black people that's talking about racism this and racism that, black people are racist towards their own race. Just look at the, the derogatory names that they call Diamond and Silk, Coons and Uncle Tom. And we have proof this is not a latch. You can go to Diamond and Silk Wall of Shame and see all of the derogatory and racist remarks that black people make against us to black women. So before you start calling, saying something about the white man being racist, check your own self. Take a look in the mirror and look at your own black race being racist towards each other. Well, if great you look point. at, uh, it's a great point, if you look at uh, black unemployment at an all-time low right now, it, would there ever come a point where members of the Congressional Black Caucus or other black leaders would recognize that and say, maybe something's working and we should do more of that? Well, see, they don't want to recognize it because right. they're part of the problem. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. It is thanks to our financial supporters that it's possible for us to continue our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. To join us on our journey, check out our patreon.com slash justratemedia or visit www.justratemedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample our archive broadcasts featuring an array of timeless discussions of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. And one of those things is freedom of speech. And we were just talking about what was happening with Apple's database in the country of China, which is not so different from some of the controversies going on here. And Salim, you were just telling us some more about that story. Well, the story in the immediate sense is Trump uh, and his administration raising the tariff barrier on China as a way of getting the Chinese serious about uh, opening their market. Uh, the whole issue is that China, as a WTO member and having a most favored nation business relationship with the United States, has taken full advantage of the open American market. And the American market is the most open market in the world to the extent that now China has over 
$500 billion surplus in trade with the United States. The United States has over $500 billion deficit uh, with China. Just to put it in perspective, the Canada-U.S. trade under NAFTA is about the same, you know, in terms of the deficit. Canada-U.S. trade is close to $600 billion or $2 billion per day. So what Trump is trying to do, this has been built over many years or decades, is reverse the situation, create a fair and balanced trade, you know, not end the free trade, but fair and balanced trade. And the instrument that he is using is, again, the question of tariffs, you know, of closing off, not only in the immigration center building the wall, but in the case of trade, to put tariffs on Chinese imports, you know, and that's the huge debate that is taking place. Perhaps you can answer a question for me, Salim, because I'm not an economist, and I find sometimes this can get a little confusing to me about the balance of trade. Let's say I have a widget, and I'm a Canadian. You're an American, and I want to sell you my widget for one American dollar. I give you the widget, you give me the American greenback. Okay, so I got this buck in my hand. Now, you might think that, oh, America now has a $1 trade deficit with Canada because I've got your American dollar and all you've got is my widget. But what am I going to do with this American dollar if not at some point in time make sure that it goes back to America so that I can buy something from America? I can put it, I can deposit it to the bank and the bank will then pay off debts that it owes to American. So it, it, to me, so there is no such on. thing as a trade so imbalance. just hold on. You, 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 you hit the nail on the head. Theoretically, you have constructed the argument, which is the basically free trade argument. You have a $1, and now with that $1, you want to buy something American. But you are a Canadian. And the government of Canada says, or the Can- Canadian uh, uh, statute says that you cannot import certain items from America, the very item that you want to buy. You want to buy cheese from Wisconsin because you like the Wisconsin cheese and, you know, it is a good price. But you can't get it into Canada because, you know, we have our supplier arrangement in Canada. And that's an argument that is going on now in NAFTA. That's an argument that has burst upon. I mean, just to take another angle over here, I don't want to get too derailed, but the whole issue with the federal conservative leadership now has been exposed, that Maxim Bernier has pointed out that he lost his leadership last year by a very narrow margin of instant conservative members in Quebec who rallied for Andrew Scheer because Maxim Bernier was against supply management. Oh, really? So from... All the dairy farmers in Quebec. Dairy farmers and cheesemakers and others. So you see, that's the problem we are faced with. I wanted to step back and talk about China or at least address the China issue in the larger context exactly of the theoretical issue. China today is the second largest economy in the world. Everybody now recognizes that. I mean, from pure numbers, the Chinese economy is somewhere around about between 12 and 13 trillion dollar, and the American economy is around about 20 trillion dollar. Okay, let's put this in some historical perspective. China is 
the second largest uh, economy in the world, that is GDP, the gross economy. But in terms of per capita income, China is somewhere around about the 80th country. So China is not up there in per capita income. Canada is much richer than China in per capita income. Belgium is much richer than China in per capita income. All right. But China is also a third world country. A third world country, if not economically speaking anymore, mentally, culturally, how so? Now, only in the mid-1980s, China started opening up. It was after the death of Mao Zedong, who died in 1976. Then came all the internal upheaval, Deng Xiaoping, you know, Tiananmen massacre, so on and so forth. And then the Chinese economy started opening up to world trade. But what was this opening up to the world trade? We have to stop and ask. And it was given the WTO membership. It was invited into all the other various organizations, international organizations, and the Americans responded by having a free trade relationship with China. What it was is what I would call not free trade with China, or from the Chinese perspective, free trade. It was mercantilism. China was back to 16th, 17th, 18th century economic policy. Mercantilism is basically, in a one line I would say, is beggar your neighbor. And in economics and trade, beggaring your neighbor was to squeeze your own labor in a manner that the labor costs of production is way below what the international market bears or what the advanced country bears in terms of labor costs. So if the labor costs in the United States, for argument's sake, is 100 times more than the Chinese or 50 times more than the Chinese, it makes a lot of logical sense to export your manufacturing to China for the labor costs and then import the products. And that's what happened in the 30 years. That's what Trump has talked about. But that's also also why I hold in my hand a marvel of engineering and ingenuity produced by cheap labor overseas, and that is my cell phone. Exactly. If if this had to be built in Philadelphia, it would cost $10,000 rather than the, I got it for free with a plan. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but then you know what you're saying. Then you're saying that it wouldn't have been built and that if they had wanted to build it, they'd have to lower their prices to get it down to what people Labor would have to lower their prices. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So in terms of third world developing countries, there were advantages given. That was what was negotiated through the UN over the last so many years, you know, that negotiations have taken place. It goes back, again, we don't have the time for history lesson over here, but it goes back to the 1950s with UNCTAD, the United Nations Trade and Development Relationship, helping the newly independent countries by providing them aid, loans. The bottom line is providing capital, investment, so that these countries then can build up a manufacturing base. So, so gradually that they can rise, you know, right. they can come into the modern world. Well, this is exactly what happened with China. China took advantage of all that was given to other third world countries, but China is a communist country. China took advantage of it because, again, Take your mind back to the 1970s and 80s when Nixon went to China, when the China door was open. 
the world was a bipolar world. It was the height of Cold War. And it was a political decision to triangulate Soviet Union by opening to China and pulling away China from that communist relationship, okay? What the Chinese decision makers after Mao Zedong made their own calculation, and their calculation is that China, by the time of its centenary year of its revolution, that's 1949, as we are drawing close, 2049, China will become the dominant power in the Pacific region, okay? So China is almost there. China is now the second this largest economy in the world, apart from its military, its navy, its growing air force, so on and so forth. So do we continue to treat China as a third world country, or do we treat China as, again, now an industrial giant, the second largest economy. And if you're going to treat China as a second largest economy, then China has to engage in opening up its market. It cannot simply produce Apple. It must also be ready to let American products compete with Chinese products within the Chinese economy. So this is the complex relationship we are talking about. China uses its position in the international organizations on the basis that it's still a third world country. It uses the economic policies, which were, as I said, goes back to the Middle Ages mercantilism, you know, which is where you basically destroy your opponent while looking for your own advantages. And that's why you went into trade war, which became military war to protect markets and so on and so forth. You had colonies, which were protected markets. The Chinese are basically practicing that underneath the radar of saying we want free trade, whether it is a free trade only being one-way trade. Jim, Jim. Yeah. Look what I found. Oh, 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 we've got them. We've got them by the short and curlies. What are you talking about? <laughs> we've got Sir Humphrey Bloody Appleby and Mr. Toffee Nose Private Secretary Snooty Woolly just where we want them. See this? This innocent looking piece of paper. Political dynamite. All right, calm down, Frank. I don't even know what you're talking about. This is an invoice for 1,000 computer video display terminals at £10,000 each. That's ten million pounds. Yes, sir. Made by the Pittsburgh Manufacturing Corporation, Inc. Imported from America? I know. But we make computer peripherals in this country, in my constituency. I know. What about unemployment? I know. This must be stopped. <laughs> sir Humphrey, take a seat. Thank you, Now then. Frank here has just discovered this contract for the import of 10 million pounds worth of video display terminals from America. Mercy. Oh, yes. For the whole civil service in Whitehall. They're not British. That is unfortunately true. But we make these machines in this country. Not of the same quality. Better quality. They're made in my constituency. <laughs> Humphrey, this contract must be stopped. 
Oh, no, I'm afraid that's beyond my power, Minister. This could only be cancelled by the Treasury. Oh, why is that? A major policy change for the civil service to cancel contracts freely entered into, especially with overseas suppliers. Of course, if you'd like to take it up with the Cabinet... How am I to face my constituency party? It's time we started thinking of the British poor, not the American rich. Right! Cut this one out of, again, the Epic Times, which is a Chinese-oriented newspaper, and this is written by Valentin Schmidt in the March 15th edition, and it says, The illusion of free trade. The current trading system was never free. Trump's tariffs merely change. Who gets what? That's the headline. And they write, coming back to Trump and his tariffs, it's only natural he would want to change the configuration of winners and losers in an already deeply manipulated system. Trump's an economic nationalist, and his goal is to benefit U.S. industry and domestic employment. Every policy from immigration to regulation to taxation reflects this philosophy. So by raising tariffs on select products, he is picking the domestic winners who should be able to expand production in the face of less international competition and hire more local workers. In a truly free trade system, this would have long-term disadvantages because American workers and companies would expand their effort on something that foreign companies and workers can already do better. However, in the current trade regime, it merely levels the playing field for domestic producers while at the same time making life more uncomfortable for not only the American companies operating in China, but also in Europe and in Canada. And as it comes with all the unintended consequences of any kind of government intervention carries, probably even higher prices for domestic consumer goods. However, if the people complaining right now had been truly interested in free trade and not in just collecting their own spoils, they would have long ago called on China to lower their average tariff rates and the European Union and Canada to stop their massive subsidies for agricultural products. Alas for them, free trade is only a one-way street leading to the United States, and they're unhappy that Trump just put up a stop sign. Isn't that almost what you just said? Well, well isn't that astute that as a, a guy from outside of the North American context is writing about well, this? Well, you're always telling me that the best news you can get if you want to find out about exactly. Trump is go outside the North American news media. I, I, exactly, and, and I keep saying that because all not only our markets are, are, are controlled and manipulated, our ideas are controlled and manipulated. I mean, we we haven't had a serious discussion about NAFTA in Canada. Remember, the governing party in Canada was against NAFTA, and now we are so well, addicted that's, that's to it. That's an irony. It is an irony, isn't it? And and think about what what is the issue over here with with NAFTA? That is, forget about the Mexican side. Look at the Canadian side. The issue is that NAFTA opened up the door to the American market. So the Chinese or the Europeans or the Japanese or the Indians, that is, companies that are emerging in the third world, or their branch plant of companies that are headquartered in the United States, which is where we come into the question of those who are globalists in this uh, debate, they are manufacturing in say in China, and I give you the example of, say, steel, because that was the issue mm -hmm. that 
arose with Trump. China about. manufactures more steel in one month than America manufactures in an entire year. That means the American steel industry has basically been uh, wiped out by the Chinese steel industry. Why is that so? And, and all of this has happened in 25 years. It is so because the Chinese government, that's a communist party, heavily subsidizes steel. Mm-hmm. And having heavily subsidized steel, they can dump steel. And where were they dumping the steel from? Through NAFTA. Because we, that is Canada, have access to the U.S. market without the tariffs or the tariffs are negotiated. So the Chinese can take advantage of that by dumping their steel in Canada and then we then ship the steel into the U.S. market. To stop that from happening, Trump said that we are going to renegotiate NAFTA. We are not going to allow the Chinese, in this case, to use NAFTA to enter the American market. But you come back to my observation that cheap steel as a consumer is a great thing. And if it's subsidized by Chinese laborers, well, so what? I still get my cell phone. I still get my cheap Hyundai. All of that is very good. Provided it is not only free trade but fair trade. Look what happened in the 70s when the first oil shock, and that goes back to the cartel issue, we can talk about it. The unintended consequence of the cartel, the oil cartel, the 1973-74 shock was that the small Japanese car became more desirable than the American big gas-consuming car. Mm -hmm. So the whole decade of the 1970s and 80s began the readjustment, the deregulation. It began with Jimmy Carter. But one of the conditionality about the deregulation that came through was that if the Japanese want to sell their cars in America in the numbers they want to sell, they will eventually have to decide to manufacture cars in America. And we saw that adjustment take place. And we saw the Japanese moving their manufacturing into the United States, you know. Same thing happened with the European. Same thing is happening with the Korean, you know. And we in Canada got the advantage because it was the auto pack, remember? But it was a reciprocity. This goes back all the way to Adam Smith. It makes more sense, for instance, he says, that if you have the comparative advantage to produce, say, textile over somebody else, and that somebody else have a comparative advantage to produce the best wine, then you don't produce wine when you don't have that advantage. You buy the wine and you sell the textile. And, 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 and that is the reciprocity which comes in at play if you want a free trade. But you can't have free trade where you want to sell your textile and you want to stop me from selling you the wine. But I think you're, you're talking cross purposes to Trump when you suggest that we go to Adam Smith because let's say that China can do steel better than the United States. Well, this, okay, so the United States has to adjust. So they no longer produce steel. But instead, those workers go elsewhere, in high tech or whatever. In other words, there are adjustments. I remember back when Mulroney brought in uh, free trade in Canada with the United States and Mexico. And, you know, people would, oh, all our car manufacturers will go so, out so, of, so car the, manufacturers will go out of business and all of that. And I say, look, there's going to be an adjustment 
when you have an open market. But my point is that the market adjusts. Yeah, but you're well, sure precisely, and that's exactly <laughs> what is happening. The Trump's argument is to make the market adjust. Which market? The Chinese market. <laughs> Trump has never said that he's against free trade. Trump has said free trade has to also be a fair trade. I have to tell you this phrase, not free trade, but fair trade, has bugged me constantly because I don't see the two things as separate. They have to be one and the same. Fair enough. Because when we talk about free trade, what we mean is free from coercion, free from the coercion of government, free from the coercion of individuals. If we're trading with a country that is subsidizing its goods, that's not free trade because they're already using coercion to help produce their goods. Just hold on. So, hold on. And if you start talking about So we fair, shouldn't buy milk because milk is subsidized in this country. So give up your milk. I didn't say give up your milk. I just said that the milk... But that's trade. When I give when I give my four dollars for a but liter of milk, but it's not free trade. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's trade. not free. So but if you want to change that, then stop buying milk. Well, stop buying eggs. Stop buying cheese. That won't stop. Butter. That will stop everything. me from drinking milk. It won't stop. <laughs> okay. That's my point. You don't stop. The market doesn't stop because it doesn't care about where its milk came from. It just knows that it wants milk. Both of you guys, in your, I would use cautiously the word zealotry about oh, free. We're zealots, Bob. <laughs> uh, uh, you make uh, the government, in a sense, you know, the suspect. No, You're, the government's the good guy in this. The, the government's uh, job me, is to let, keep let, the market let, free. Let me, let me finish the point. If the government is globalist, it doesn't care about the people. Until Trump got elected, the United States government, the executive and the, the congressional, were on the argument of free trade, not willing to touch the, the globalist side of the argument. That is an open border, open immigration, open trade, in which the only sucker is the United States of America. Because the Europeans are not following free trade. I agree. I agree totally. So, and, and so that's why the people voted. So this week we come back in it. The attack on Trump and his policies, where is it coming from? It is coming from the very people who have been profiting from an open border f argument of free trade, which doesn't take into account the question of fair trade. Epistemologically, you might make all the argument and the abstraction that free and fair should be one. Trump is not an anti-free trade person. I agree with you. If you, you are in agreement with me, and so what I'm, what I'm saying I'm is, I don't like to see the words free and fair as though they're two separate things. So yes. Free trade and fair trade should be one, epistemologically. But the Chinese have been running around because, as Lenin said, the capitalist will give the rope to hang himself. All right? So the right. Chinese, being very good Leninists, have understood to use the argument of free trade for their own benefit. I agree. And then again, you, you see a headline saying that the current trading system was never free. So here we've been talking about a free exactly. trade system that was never free in the exactly. first place. And so if we want to make it free, free and fair, I think, go together. But that's a conversation we'll have to continue in the future, yes. Salim. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. And join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right. And be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade it.
to color and color it to black and white under the bedclothes everything will be alright I have discovered that only last month the previous government signed a contract to import 10 million pounds worth of office equipment for use by the civil service. Bureaucracy. Uh, used by the civil service bureaucracy. So, we are being fobbed off with second-rate American junk by smart Alex salesmen from Pittsburgh while British factories stand empty and British workmen queue up for the dole. Uh, unemploy <laughs> unemployment benefit. The dole burner. <laughs>